The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. We're talking about joy in battle. I don't know if you're battling tonight in any area of your life. Um, I, I would submit that I'm sure that there's some battles going on. Uh, I don't know where your battles are. Uh, sometimes, if you're like me, uh, do you ever uh, battle and struggle and then you, you start to think that the battle is in some place that it truly isn't? Sometimes we don't focus on the fact that the Bible tells us that if we're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to have difficulty, we're going to have trials, we're going to, have, we're going to suffer persecutions, but also that we have a very real adversary. Uh, isn't there such a, 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 compet- a, a, a repetitive reminder in Scripture that we have an adversary. Why do you think that God has to tell us that over and over again? I think sometimes because we think that some of our struggles just have to do with within us. And, and I think that can be the case. We struggle in our minds. We struggle in our hearts. We struggle in our flesh. But how many know tonight that you have a very real adversary? Satan is an adversary uh, that we wrestle not, the Bible says, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I think anybody, uh, any Christian that's trying to live according to scriptures, you're going to have uh, spiritual battles. Uh, You're going to be wrestling against these principalities and powers, and you need to be armored up. God reminds us to put on his armor. He reminds us to stand uh, when when we're accosted uh, and to be able to stand confidently because uh, of the promises that we have in his word. But that's not easy, is it? It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, sometimes it's very tiring. Uh, we don't get weary in well-doing, right? Because in due season we'll reap if we faint not. But why does he tell us these things? Because I think it's just natural for us to get tired. Anybody tired tonight? You know, life is beating you up a little bit. Nick's tired, all right? Uh, he had a long flight yesterday, and it's good to uh, have him back in for a little while uh, visiting. We appreciate his service in the Marines, and uh, it's good to just be able to be together. But we get weary. I, I was, uh, somebody asked me on the way out, uh, Pastor, how you doing? I just said, boy, I'm just tired. It's just been a long, a long weekend, a lot of things going on. We had a pastor friend traveling through uh, on his way back up to Maine. Their family came over. They spent the night on Friday night, and uh, we had all their family there. And then yesterday, the missionaries came in. We spent time with them. And then this morning, uh, spending time, and then uh, teaching, and then preaching, and then this afternoon, spending some more time. And, and you know, sometimes we just get exhausted uh, because we're just human beings, Right? Jesus knew, and he looked at those disciples. He told them to pray, right? Watch and pray. And it didn't take long. You know, he came back, and they were sleeping. And sometimes I understand that as a pastor. You go, hey, guys, we're going to preach the word. And before long, you find them sleeping, right? You know, it takes, Frank, you with us tonight? I'm just making sure. All right, good. He's, he told me he's going to stay awake tonight. And uh, some of us, you know, we, we, we struggle a little bit in the flesh. I just woke him up. You can go back to sleep. I won't reference you anymore throughout the message. Uh, but as we see, we're a family. It's Sunday night, right? Family service. We can pick on each other a little bit around the table here tonight. Uh, I, I'm thankful for just God's grace in our lives as we go through this. And that's why we need each other. We need the reminder, hey, listen, that we need to encourage one another. We need to consider one another. And uh, we need one another, as was uh, mentioned to us from the book of uh, Ephesians, just in that little, uh, that little uh, sermonette that was given to us. I'm thankful for these reminders. But as Paul turns here to the end of the chapter, he's, he's talking to them, basically saying, hey, listen, Philippian church, the Christian life is not a playground. Uh, it's a battleground. Uh, he tells us in verses 1 through 11 that we're sons in the family, uh, that we're enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. 
And then he says in verses 12 through 26 that we're servants and, and we're, we're striving, we're further sharing in the furtherance of the gospel, but now that we're soldiers in this passage, that we're defending the faith of the gospel. And the believer with the single mind can have the joy of the Holy Spirit even in the midst of battle. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was able to, for the joy, the Bible says, that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. And, you know, the joy that's set before us needs to help us endure things in the Christian life. And the faith of the gospel here is that that body of truth given to the church. Jude called it in Jude 3, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says, earnestly contend for this faith. Uh, Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 4.1 that in the latter times that there'll be some that will depart from the faith. And, and God committed this spiritual treasure uh, to us. And he, 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 turned, uh, he, he, he wants us to in turn rather commit it to others. As he says, faithful men be able to teach others also. And that's why the, the church needs to engage. Uh, we need to engage our enemy, and we need to not wait to, to be attacked, but we need to engage him. Uh, we need to be offensive in, in the attack. We need to take the mission uh, of Christ into the world that we live in. And sometimes I think we become more reactive uh, than responsible Christians. We're waiting to be, or we're trying to react or respond to what's happening to us. Isn't it true that most of life is responding to what happens to you? You know, it's a lot of what things happen in our lives. Uh, we're responding to how people treat us. We're responding to things that are out of our control. But uh, truly, God doesn't want us just to be reactors, but truly the kind of responders that we would expect the first responders to be. You know, first responders, what do they do? They rush into uh, situations that other people are running out of. You know, you know what reactors do. You know, reactors, when there's a fire, they go and trample over people and it causes all kinds of ruckus. But responders, what do they do? Well, they're trained. Uh, they're, they're in the right mindset. They're calm. They're going into the heat of things. They're going into the struggle. They're charging ahead confidently, not just because they've been trained, but because it's their job to do it. And as believers, you know, God has called us to go into this world and to understand that we're going to face spiritual opposition, but we're not to cower in fear. Or to just run into our comfort zones. Come on, are you with me tonight, some of us? The reason why we don't share the gospel the way that we should is because we've got too comfortable. We got too comfortable. And sometimes those comfort zones keep us from sharing the gospel. Uh, Are you like me that sometimes uh, you reject the gospel for people before you ever share it with them? You look at a person and you say, well, they don't want to hear what I have to say. Or I might be embarrassed of the way that we act. And sometimes that's the way that we are. We can be cowardly. Instead of just opening our mouths for Christ, it's so important. You never know uh, the the power of the gospel when it's delivered. Oh boy, it, it has the power to to save sinners, to change lives. But how can a group of Christians? How can this body of believers, as Paul is exhorting this Philippian church, fight this very real enemy that we have? Well, Second Corinthians reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh; they're spiritual weapons that we have. Uh, Peter took up a sword in the garden, but Jesus rebuked him. Why? Because we use spiritual weapons, the word of God in prayer. Uh, Peter was uh, sleeping when he should have been praying, but he was pulling his sword out uh, when he shouldn't have been. You know, there were times where he res- responded wrongly, and Jesus was trying to teach him the, the power that we have rests in the word of God and in prayer. And the, the army uh, of God, the children of God, are meant to fight together. So that's why Paul is 
sending these admonitions to his friends at Philippi. Let me give you three thoughts tonight, and uh, we'll close. But from verse number 27, notice, what's that first area of admonition? He says, only let your, what's that word? Conversation be as it becometh the gospel. The old English word uh, conversation uh, means more walk than talk. Uh, It doesn't necessarily uh, mean conversation like we're talking. It means our walk. It means our life. He's talking about our lifestyle. In other words, he's saying, let your lifestyle, let your conduct, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. When you live, let people see the gospel through the way that you live your life. And as, as uh, believers, even though there's a battle that's raging around us, even though we have an adversary that's very real in our lives, uh, Paul is admonishing the church at Philippi. The Holy Spirit is admonishing us, believers, the church, and he's saying to us, hey, listen, let your conduct, let your conversation, let your lifestyle be one that projects, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are around. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It's the consistent life of believers. I want to say that again because I want that to kind of take root tonight. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of believers. How many find that uh, a good, the life that God has called us is hard to be consistent? It's hard. Uh, there's a lot of opposition. Anybody, um, you, you read your Bible, but you'd like to do it more consistently. Anybody with me tonight? You pray, but you'd like to do it more consistently. You share the gospel with people, but you'd like to do it more consistently. You know, uh, you react or respond correctly when people may treat you wrongly, but you'd like to do it more consistently. You forgive others when they wrong you, but you'd like to do it more consistently. Uh, You love people that don't love you, but you'd like to do it more consistently. Uh, You're a good husband, but you'd like to be more consistent. You're a good wife, but you'd like to be more consistent. You're a student, but you'd like to, come on, get more consistent grades. Uh, uh, You're studying, but you'd like to be more consistent. Anybody understand you? You go to the gym, but you'd like to do it more consistently. How many are with me tonight? Some of the things, how many know the, the difficulty is not in starting? The difficulty is in being consistent. It's faithfulness day in and day out. That's what Paul was admonishing the church about. He was saying, hey, listen, let your consistent lifestyle, your consistent conversation, your faithfulness, even when battles come. Uh, How many know that the temptation is, is when difficulty comes into our lives, when we get stressed out, right? Some of us, we use that as an excuse for our behavior. You know, I'm flying off the handle because I'm stressed out. I'm, I'm eating the way I am because I'm stressed out. I, I, I'm treating others the way I am because I'm stressed out. How many know that God is telling us, listen, no matter what comes into our lives, no matter what we're facing circumstantially, He is admonishing us from the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to live a consistent life that's in the gospel. It's showing the... What, what's the life lived that shows the gospel? Well, I think a life lived that shows the gospel... Is, is love that's unconditional. Is that what the gospel teaches us? Unconditional love. How many like to live a life that gives unconditional love to people? How many know that's not easy to do? Uh, sometimes we, we like those that like us. We give to those that give to us. We're good to those that are good to us. Jesus said, what thank do you have if you're good to those that are good to you? If you like those that like you? If you're kind to those that are kind to you? 
He said, but hey, listen, if you can do these other things, if you can love those that hate you, if you can do, the, do good to those that despitefully use you, nobody is going to look at someone who is kind to someone that's kind to them and say, wow, that's a wonderful miracle of God. But you know what? When, when they look at a Christian that is able to love people that hate them, that is able to be kind to those that use them, that is able to be gracious with those who, 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 who battle against them, you know what? They can look at that life and say, there's something different about that person. There's something different. Bless those that curse you. Bless and curse not. Boy, do good to those. That's, that's difficult. Hey, hey, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul not only preached this, but he practiced it in his life, didn't he? We see this throughout Paul's life and his ministry. That's why when people looked at him, listen, even those, those that were closest to Paul when he was in prison were those guards that he was chained to. And you know, many people in the house where he was on house arrest, the Bible tells us, received Christ as Savior. They came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because they saw Paul's conversation. They saw his life. And when they saw his life, his life was, should have been different. He should have had a different response, a different reaction. But truly, he had a conversation that was of the gospel. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It's the consistent life of believers. The verb Paul used here is related to our word politics. He's saying, behave, let your conversation behave the way citizens of heaven are supposed to behave. You know, Paul was suggesting that, that, we are Christ, that we Christians are the citizens of heaven. While we're here on earth, we ought to behave like heaven's citizens. He says, for now you're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You know, uh, he, he tells us, he reminds us of who we are, that we're to conduct ourselves in a way Uh, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Um, It's a good question for us to ask ourselves uh, 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 regularly. Am I living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel? Am I living in a manner that is showing or displaying the gospel to those that are watching? Can I say this first? Start at home. Start at home. Sometimes we focus in areas where uh, we shouldn't first. And I I would submit this to you. The best place to live out a life that's worthy of the gospel, husbands, wives, children, is in your home. You know, that, that's, the, that's the first place that it starts. If I can't love my wife the way Christ loves the church, how am I going to love anybody else? Uh, if, if I can't, if I can't uh, uh, you know, uh, instruct and admonish my children in, in love, if I can't show uh, God's grace, and boy, I know how much I fail even as I'm saying it tonight. But, you know, if I can't do that, boy, how can I go out amongst strangers and have genuine love for them? How can, I, how can I affect those even in the house of God if I can't even affect those in my own house? Isn't that a qualification even that God gives to the pastorate? You know, ruling well in his own house. I, I don't think it means that he's just dictatorially ruling, but the way that one would rule in the house of God. How do, how's the pastor uh, told to rule in the house of God? Not dictatorially, but to love to give oversight, to feed, to be gracious, to be a servant. God calls us all to be that way. And so he calls us to a consistent lifestyle. Uh, I don't know who wrote this. Uh, the, the source is unknown, but uh, I think it's a good poem. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? You know, I think uh, that's a good question. 
When people look at your life, what gospel is being preached to them? Is it a gospel of grace or is it a gospel of works? Do people have to work for you to love them? Do people have to work for you to accept them? Do people have to work for you to forgive them? I think that's what sometimes people... Well, when this person does enough work and when they get themselves... Then I'll forgive them. That's not the gospel of grace. What does God do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were His enemies, He loved us. When we were not good, He cared for us and He looked upon us. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. There's only one gospel of salvation and anything else is a false gospel. Is your life preaching a true gospel or a false gospel? And then let's look at verse number 27 as we continue. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Notice what he says, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand, notice this, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He talks about first their conversation But number two, he talks about their cooperation, their cooperation. Anybody have one of those shirts or you want to give it to somebody that you know does not play well with others? You know, I don't, you know, I'm good as long as I can do things my way. But if things don't go my way, I can't get along with anyone else. You know, it's hard to have a work day at church when no men can work together. You know, it's, a, it's amazing sometimes. I, I've learned that a long time ago that the men that have to have it their way just don't show up to work days. You know, I, I work better alone. I, I can't have, you know, I can't cooperate with all these other peons that don't know as well as, as, well as I do. You know, it, it takes some patience to work with people, especially when you think yourself to be better than all of them. You know, I, I think sometimes we have, this, uh, we have this mindset that's not a Christ-like mindset I can't cooperate with people unless I'm in full, full agreement with them. Well, how many thankful that Christ cooperates with us even though we don't fully agree with Him all the time? Is your life in full agreement to God? But does God come alongside of you? Is He, care, is he careful? Is He merciful? Is He faithful with you? Even though there's some areas of your life that perhaps you haven't come up to his standard on and His word. He's patient with you. He's kind with you. He works alongside. Aren't you glad for the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one that comes alongside of us? What does that mean? We get into a yoke with Him, right? Jesus offers that partnership to us. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. You know what He says? I want to work with you. I want to work with you. Doesn't He tell us He wants to fellowship with us? You know, if you can only fellowship with people you agree with, then you don't know what Christian fellowship is. I'm going to say that again. If you can only fellowship with those you agree with, then you don't know what Christian fellowship is. You know, I don't and you don't have to be in full agreement about every topic in order for us to get there. How many know that those are catty friendships we've learned from the world? I've got to be friends with those who like what I like. Those that like me and those that like what I like to do, but I can't be friends with people that don't enjoy all the things that I enjoy. Christian fellowship is not about our preferences, but it's about the Holy Spirit of God in all of us. What's he saying to us? He's saying, hey, listen, you need to cooperate together. You think it's easy getting everyone in the church to cooperate? It's not an easy task. Sometimes it's not easy to get everybody to listen at the same time. 
Sometimes it's not easy to get everybody moving in the same direction at the same time. Sometimes it's not easy to get everybody to arrive at the same, are you with me? Uh, to arrive at the same time. Or to make the focus the same focus. You know, sometimes we come and we all have our own opinions or focuses on how things should go, and uh, then we have disunity. Uh, and, you know, it brings division to us, doesn't it? But you know what he's telling them? He's saying, hey, listen, when, it, when, you, when I want to hear your affairs, I want to hear that you stand fast in one spirit. One spirit. Let me ask you a question. Whose spirit do you think that is? It's God's spirit, isn't it? Isn't that the one spirit that brings unity to us? God is saying, the Holy Spirit is teaching us here. The Paul is admonishing this church at Philippi. He's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is the one that should be leading our spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that should be leading our spirit. How many know that your spirit can be bad? Anybody have a bad spirit every once in a while? We used to articulate it this way. Do you, um, do you have, anybody else's parents used to ask you this question, do you have an attitude? Everybody has an attitude. But how many know that usually the question is, is related to, do you have a bad attitude? You know, um, do you know when you bring a bad spirit to something? Are you with me? Are you aware when you bring a bad spirit to something? Sometimes we come. Uh, is, are, we, are we able to come to church with a bad spirit? You, you understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes we just don't have the right spirit. We don't have the, uh, try the spirits to see whether they're God. But sometimes, are you yielding your spirit to his spirit? Are you allowing his spirit to lead yours? Sometimes we just have a bad spirit. Be careful what spirit you bring in to the, to the fellowship. Um, do you think that God's spirit would lead you to gossip? I'm, I'm being serious tonight. Do you think that God's spirit would lead you to gossip? Do you think God's spirit would lead you to criticize? You think God's spirit would lead you to complain? Are these God's spirits? No, this is not God's spirit. God's spirit leads us to unity. God's spirit leads us to love. God's spirit leads us to peace. He brings us to these places, but sometimes the problem is our spirit. So how do we have proper cooperation as the children of God? Well, we've got to all let God's spirit lead our spirit. Are you with me tonight? Is God's spirit leading your spirit? Notice he he not only talks about our spirit, but he talks about our soul, doesn't he? He says, one spirit with one what? Mind. You know, the mind, the emotions are the seat of our soul. That's where our soul is, our intellect, our emotions. He's talking about our spirit. He's talking about our soul, isn't he? He's saying, when it comes to your mind, the way that you think, is it true that a Christian can think wrongly? Yeah. Yeah. Because what does he tell us? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you catch when you're thinking wrongly? What does he tell us about our thoughts? He says, he says yield your thoughts. Cast down those imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to Christ's obedience. How do I know that the battle is often up here? Isn't this where your anxiety is? Isn't this where your fears are? Isn't this where your bitterness is rooted? Sometimes we carry things we shouldn't carry. We continue in things we shouldn't continue because we have the wrong mind. And and that's why God says, allow, allow, let this mind. Are you with me tonight? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did he have? Well, he was humble. He was humble. He was a servant. He was self-sacrificing. He was loving. He was merciful. He was gracious. 
He's saying, hey, listen, in order for us to cooperate, we're going to have to have the same spirit. In order for us to cooperate, we're going to have the same mind. But then he says also, notice, spirit, soul, and then body. He's saying striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what that means? That in our bodies, we're working together to do the work of God too. It's my spirit and my mind, but also we're doing the work. Striving together talks about labor. It talks about work. It's what we need to do together as as believers. But notice we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, when we think about the gospel, we understand that it's our job to be heralds. It's our job to carry. It's our job to be witnesses. But sometimes we're just not doing our job because we don't have his mind. We're not being led by his spirit. And so our bodies are in control. What happens when God's spirit is not leading our spirit, when our minds are not uh, his mind? Well, then our bodies don't do what they should. We allow our bodies to call the shots sometimes. You with me? Whatever my body wants. How many know this is a poor way to live your Christian life? Whatever your body wants, just give it. It's a poor way to live the Christian. It's a poor way to live life in general. But sometimes that's the way we live our lives. It's why we don't have the cooperation that we should. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that we could do more for Christ if we were 100% yielded to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit as a church body, and we strove together for the faith of the gospel? Do you believe that we could accomplish more for Christ? I do. I believe that we could. But let me just say this tonight. It's not up to me. I can't, I can't yield for you any more than you can yield for me. I can't work for you any more than you can work for me. We all have our posts, don't we? We all have our jobs to do. And either we're doing our jobs or we're thinking somebody else is doing it for us. You know, we all have lives to live, I understand. We all have responsibilities. We all have bills to pay. We all have things to do. But can we remind ourselves tonight from the Word of God why we're here? You ever think, you know, when I got saved, why didn't God just take me to heaven? He left us here for a purpose, didn't he? To show the glory of his wonderful salvation that has been brought to us, but to be witnesses, the witnesses on earth, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're his, as we looked at this morning, his temple. We're meant to carry that with us. And then uh, let's look at verse 28, 29, and 30, and we'll close with this thought tonight. Everybody still okay? All right. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is, to, uh, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that of God. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be with me. What's he saying here? Don't be alarmed by your opponents. Don't be discomfited by your opposition, your adversary. Paul uh, is, is painting a picture here like, like a horse that shies away from battle. He's saying, hey, listen, be sure. Uh, nobody blindly runs into a fight, but then no true believer should deliberately avoid facing the enemy. Can I remind you of David and Goliath? You remember Goliath came down in the valley? And every day, what would he do? He would challenge the armies of the living God that one would come out and fight him. And what did those guys do? Well, every single one of them were waiting for someone else to do the job. Everybody was cowardly. They were waiting. They were, the Bible even says that they were hiding behind rocks. They didn't want to be seen. They didn't want to be singled out. They didn't want to charge forward. There they are in their army. There, there they are. Well, somebody is challenging the living God. 
Well, someone is mocking him. Someone is, 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 is saying such horrible things about, about God. And what, is, what happens? Well, young David, he comes to deliver some food to his brothers who, who are in the military there. And he overhears the giant and what he's saying. And what does he say? Who in the world is going to... I mean, isn't there somebody who's going to step out and make this guy shut up? Isn't there somebody who's going to stand up for God? Isn't there somebody who's, gonna, who, who's not going to cower away? I mean, surely that if we would stand for God, that God would protect us. Surely that if we would step out and do what God wants us to do, no matter who is standing, no matter how big the opponent, no matter how great the opposition, if we would stand where God wants us to stand, He'll protect us. It speaks of confidence, doesn't it? But sometimes confidence is a fleshly thing. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a spiritual confidence. He's talking about what the Bible calls hope. You know, confidence in the world means being confident about yourself as a person to do what you want to do. But truly, confidence in the kingdom of God is the word hope. It means I have a confident expectation that when I do what God wants me to do, He is both able to protect me and to bring victory in my life. Let me ask you a question tonight. What are you afraid of right now when it comes to serving God? What are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid to lose the things that you hold most dear. And that's why we're not pushing forward in our lives for the Lord. Maybe we're afraid that somehow God's going to lead us to a place that we don't want to go to. Or somehow we're going to miss out on something that we hope to have. Maybe we're afraid of leaving our comfort zones. Maybe we're afraid of the unknown and what might happen if we stand for God. Can I tell you, the world continues on with their anthems, Antichrist, the spirit of disobedience that's in this world today. Those those things are continuing forward. It doesn't take any backbone to go with the flow. You with me tonight? It doesn't take any spiritual backbone to go with the flow. Anybody can live for themselves. Anybody can live for their own desires. Being a man has nothing to do with going out and doing the things that you want to do. Being a man has to do with giving your heart and life to to the Lord Jesus Christ and doing the hard thing. Truly, the hard thing is serving the Lord, isn't it? It's a hard thing to be obedient to God because the flesh doesn't want to do it. But we've got to stand, don't we? Do we have a job to do? Are you with me tonight? We have got to stand. Is the enemy any less real than Goliath was in the day that David went down to that valley of Elah? Isn't it the same voice? That voice, that opposition, it seems to be such a giant to us in our day. Boy, where are the Davids that will say, I'll go out? You know what that giant say? Give me a man that we may fight together. And, you know, there was no men that were willing to do it, so a young boy stepped out, and he said, I'll go. I'll do it. Remember Saul tried to offer the armor? David said, I'm not going to trust in this armor. I I, I don't need this armor to protect me. God will protect me. You know, many people would say today, well, that's just foolishness. Nobody should ever go out and... and..." Listen, you ought to do what God calls you to do. And you you ought to go forward with confidence and courage, knowing that God is able to protect you. You know, fully on this faith today that it's all about psychologic, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what makes sense and the logical order of things. Listen, where in the Bible is it that the courageous men of God went out and just did things according to how logic worked itself out or the way that made the most sense? The men that stood for God, they just said, we're going to do what God calls us to do if it makes no sense to us at all. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that our God's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but if he doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow. Boy, that took courage, didn't it? In a day where everybody was bending their knee to whatever the politics of their day was calling for, you know what they said? We're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. We're going to have a backbone for God, and we're going to stand for the things of God, and we're going to stand for the Word of God. Well, we need that today in our day, don't we? You know, men and women of God with backbone. It says it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing. We're not like, we're, we're not like a, a reed shaking the wind. We're, we're not just tossed about. We're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth God's fruit in God's season. We, we understand that it's not easy. But, you know, the truth is, is there's some battles that we have to face. I would say first that these battles prove that we're saved. They prove that we're saved. If you can't make it through the battle, then maybe you don't know Christ. You know, if every time the wind blows, you go with the wind, I would submit that you don't know Christ. You know, what does God say? Well, His children, they're not blown, they're not tossed to and fro. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. But the blessed man's like the tree that's not blown with the wind. The, the battles prove that we're saved. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, you know, the battle's a privilege, isn't it? It's not just a proof, but it's a privilege. Because the Bible tells us here that we suffer for His sake. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake? Is that a privilege? Are we afraid of that tonight? I don't want to, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. I'm with you tonight. I don't think any of us want to say, well, I'll sign me up for suffering. But, but are, you, are you tracking what Paul's saying here? Hey, listen, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus' sake. You know, it's, it's foolish to suffer for our own sin, isn't it? You know what the Bible tells us? Don't let anybody, not, not one of you in the church, don't let him suffer for his own sins, for his own mistakes, but let him suffer for Christ. If somebody accosts us because we're living for the Lord Jesus Christ, boy, that's something that's good in our lives. It's a privilege to be counted with Christ. But how about this? It has to do with the striving together part. How many know that we need to strive together and have this confidence because there are other people that are in the room that are going through the same conflicts that we are? I'm thankful that there are other fathers in the room, other dads in the room. Because I'm a dad and I'm experiencing conflict. I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm experiencing conflict. How many know that we need to encourage each other dads? There's some moms in the room tonight. You know, how many know that you're going through some struggles and some conflict? It's not easy to be a parent. You know, uh, there's some teenagers that are here tonight, and you're going through different temptations and different trials and uh, different changes and transitions in your life. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into the, uh, the, the temptation of the devil and give in to your own lust. And you know what you need to do? Well, let me say this, uh, young people. If you're a teenager tonight and you're going through some temptations, encourage other young people that are here to stand for Christ in those temptations. You know, sometimes uh, the bad thing is, is when we pull each other into the temptation. Well, I'm going through this, and I'm not, I'm not living for Christ, and so I want to have some more people that are with me in that. You know what we're here? We're here to provoke one another to love and to good works, not to push each other into sin. And so as we, we consider each other, notice that there's other people that are experiencing the same conflict. You know, young person, you're not the only, only young person who's ever gone through dealing with battles with lust and 
dealing with battles of, uh, uh, of desires to do things that aren't right. You know, you, you can give in to those desires or you can stand for Christ. You know, I would submit to you that if you have given your heart and life to Jesus, you made a decision to follow Christ. And there's no part in our lives where we should just allow ourselves to, if you would, sow our wild oats. Well, I'm just going through this time of rebellion in my life and, you know, I'll give my heart to Christ later. You don't know that you have a later to live for Christ. You live, you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ now. There are others going through this conflict. So God tells us here that we need to live a consistent life, our conversation that we need to be cooperating together as the body of Christ, having the one body, one soul, one spirit as we work together. And we experience, listen, joy as we confidently strive together for the faith of the gospel. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, You can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.